Okay, so welcome everybody. Briefly, my bio, I've had the good fortune, I started as an engineer in the UK, I have had the good fortune to move to the US and to get into high-tech startups from the age of 24. Um, I'm now 65 and I am a driven person. I hope I live a healthy life and I certainly en have the energy of a much younger person than my actual age. I'm not doing this because I need to, I'm doing business because it's my nature. I don't want to stop, don't want to slow down. I've had the good fortune to be a founder or one of the senior executives in seven successful startup companies, one of which is Manhattan Street Capital. Now I'm counting it in the bucket of successes. And six of those, we had liquid outcomes. Two of them we took public to the NASDAQ. One of them was Ashton Tate, way back in November 1983, where I was confusingly young for the underwriters. Um, and the other one was Symantec, the makers of Norton Antivirus. Um, I've launched with a friend, a venture capital firm and an incubator along the way. And I've raised money from some really amazing blue chip venture capital firms. Um, I've done I've played a key role in acquisitions, particularly at Symantec, where we were making acquisitions and I was uh, not making the deals. I was looking for companies, but I was doing the merger part, making the mergers work, which is, if you haven't done that, that's a really accelerated learning experience and uh, an opportunity to, to do you know great things. So I have a lot of relevant experience, which is part of why I launched Manhattan Street Capital almost uh, seven years ago, actually seven years ago, it was March. 2015. Manhattan Street Capital, what we do, we advise companies and we have a funding platform to help them raise money via Reg D, Reg S, Reg A plus and Rule 144A offerings. And we are selective and we add value in every way, shape and form by bringing in the right service providers and staying involved. So we're more the boutique, we're not doing volume for volume's sake. Disclaimers, I'm not an attorney, I'm not a valuation professional, I'm not an underwriter, we're not, I and we are not underwriters, we are not a broker-dealer platform, we are not an ATS platform, which we'll be talking about, um, and I am not, uh, uh, as a, as a, as a, because of not being those things, I cannot recommend investments to you, which I am not going to be doing. I'm not going to be recommending particular investments to you in this session. This session is intended to give you an updated snapshot on the options before you for listing your company. Going for a public offering, not an initial public offering. That term means NASDAQ and, that, and NYSE. That's largely unchanged. I'm going to give a brief update on that towards the end of this webinar. But a public offering, Reg A Plus is capital P, capital zero, capital O, public offering, right? We're get, the SEC says you can use the capital letters because you are making a public offering and becoming a reporting company by dint of doing a Reg A+. Plus. Mentioned the recording, we'll send that out later. Please don't record this because we'll, we'll make sure that uh, we cut out any cock-ups if I make them and we'll shorten it a little bit and things. Post questions in chat. Again, this is not comprehensive. I'm not trying to cover all the bases. There's a lot of material here, and it would go two and a half, three hours if I was to go more comprehensive. So, first item, what is an alternative trading system? I am following the agenda which I published 
in the blog, so you shouldn't be surprised by them. But the sequence, we're doing what we said we would do. So alternative trading systems have come about by a series of regulatory changes from the SEC. And so really they've started to matter in the last two years. And it's becoming a crowded space. Uh, it will be a crowded space. It'll be challenging for a while to figure out who to go with. Um, but that's the nature of the beast, right? And then there'll be some fallout and some consolidations and, all, and there'll be a fewer options and it'll be much more clear who to work with. The point is, though, that, what is it? It's a, an alternative trading system, or ATS, is an extension of a broker-dealer. The thing, one of the things that I love is that they don't have shorting and they don't have naked shorting. Now, it might be possible for them to create that option, but to my knowledge, none of them do that. And I wouldn't dream of listing my company on an ATS that provided that feature, because to me, that is a terribly destructive characteristic of the OTC markets and of NASDAQ and of NYSE, that stockbrokers can put naked shorts on companies that are relatively illiquid, devastate their share price as a result. So a lot of what matters when it comes to listing a company is being ready, if you're gonna list it on those exchanges, being ready to protect yourself. And that's hard if you're a relatively early stage company with relatively unpredictable results, obviously. But I, so I love the fact, I advise many companies that uh, plan, are doing or, or, or discussing a Reg A plus with us that if they're not ready to have the, all of the, play, the pieces in motion to protect themselves from naked shorting, that they should look seriously at the ATS as an option, as an alter, at alternative trading systems as an option. You still need blue sky state secondary market filings. You're not obviated. You're not released from doing uh, from that. Interestingly, there are lots of variations on the theme emerging. So there's some that specialize in certain industries and won't touch others. There's some that are private label. So imagine this, you're doing a reggae plus and you may plan to do a series of them and you want to provide liquidity for your investors, but you don't want to share those investors with other uh, alternatives that they might choose to invest in. So you can actually use a private label version of an ATS that you tie to your Reg A+, then their registration rights, their workload, if you will, are getting sorted and being FINRA registered and things applies, and you can make it that your ATS with them is just for your investors with your securities. So obviously that has up and down size, less liquidity, but it's a, it's a place where you're not going to see, you're not enticing them with alternative investments. So that's interesting. I, 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 I like that. Um, as I, some of these are, are limited in other ways. Some of them are vertical, but you'll see... Uh, some of them are tied to a funding platform, so a funding platform says, yes, we've got an ATS, but the only people who are allowing it are companies that raise money uh, with us. Um, the costs vary. At this stage in the game, you can get better deals because they're all, without exception, building presence in the market. And some of them are pushing for higher expenses than I think are appropriate. But again, you can negotiate better deals at the moment. Um, you still have that, you know, think 10K a month for Blue Sky filings annually with the state. 
and I would say think 10k a month as about realistically probably the low end of the range of what you're going to do for listing fees and staying listed on these exchanges. So I don't, that isn't a huge savings over other options, but that's reality so far. Yeah, mention that, mention that. The trading fees I've seen so far are generally efficient. Um, I don't see gouging on that level. Again, it helps that it's a competitive, <coughs> a competitive landscape. And then obviously, we'll get into which companies are more, sorry, which companies that have raised money by which methods are, are appropriate to ATSs or ATSs are a good fit for. We'll get into that. The big downside today, which is obvious of ATSs, is that they're relatively illiquid. You know, compare their liquidity to being on the NASDAQ or the OTCQX or QB, much less liquidity. But again, you don't have the naked short risk. So that's a big upside. You know, everything's a, everything's a compromise in life, isn't it? So limited liquidity is a factor that is going to improve because as the number of companies that choose to use ATSs increases and as some leaders emerge, we'll get a lot better liquidity. And as a result of the limited liquidity, you're not going to see obscenely high valuations. You know, right now, I mean, less right now than six months ago, but still, there are a lot of companies with obscenely high valuations in the market that are marketing themselves really strongly and may or may not have much substance beneath them uh, on, the major, on the major exchanges because of the state, the bubbly state of the market, which of course is changing as we speak. Each of these, each of these ATSs, they have their own criterion. You know, some of them are more interested in facilitating Reg D uh, companies that have a lot of Reg D investors. Uh, some of them aren't. Um, they all have listing requirements. So, for example, you know, what's the state of the board? Do you have a compensation committee? Those sorts of things. Some of them are more focused on. Um, obviously, it has to be a legitimate company. The number of investors, the amount of the, the, the numerical count of them, the amount of money that's been raised, the amount of liquidity that you have inherent to your company. All of those are different. All of those factors are the usual factors for listing. It's just that the ATS brings a lot more options to the table in a lot more reasonable manner with smaller, with lower hurdles. One of the things to, that you'll see is that, okay, maybe with a Reg A+, plus, then you're listing it on an ATS and you have the annual audit US GAAP level requirement in the reg, that's inherent to the Reg A+, plus and six monthly financials. If you go to the QX, the QX will require quarterly financials at the, US, at the US GAAP format, right? But not PCA or B and not audit. <clears throat> and if you go to some of the ATSs, we'll want more frequent, maybe monthly or quarterly management financials, because let's face it, it's, it matters to inform the investors. But I don't see any of the ATSs requiring PCA or B audits, or that they be done frequently. So it's, you know, you, you shouldn't expect that to change. So pros and cons, I've touched on a couple, less liquid. Um, you, you know, you're less likely for an investor who owns your shares and as purchase them through an ATS to be able to put them in their Schwab account than if they are 
than if you're trading your shares on a on the Nasdaq. It goes without saying, but the out, the, the Options are improving for ATSs as they become more established. To my view, I, I, part of the reason I did this webinar or planned this webinar is because I've always felt that Reg A Plus, one of the phenomenally great things about it is that it provides a way to be public and have a modest reporting obligation, a modest reporting burden. I don't know, the SEC doesn't brief me on their intentions, but I love that because so many companies are stuck where they are having a great difficulty living up to their PCAOB audit requirements, right? Quarterly, because they were companies that got demoted from the NASDAQ or the NYSE. So I love the fact that it's very pragmatic in that way. Uh, and when you combine it with an ATS, then you've got a very pragmatic way of being liquid that doesn't have to cost an arm and a leg. That's, there's a huge number of really good companies that are suited to that. Uh, and that's why I'm doing this, this, this webinar. I want you guys to be aware that there's a viable option there. You know, biotech companies and other companies that are years away from revenue, they are seriously vulnerable if they're on the OTC markets or, or on the NASDAQ, right? No question about that. So it's going to be a very rare company that can go list <clears throat> and survive that, 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 that experience unscathed. So an ATS is much, much better for, the, for companies of that type. It's a fragmented space, yes, of course. Um, the frothy valuations you don't get, that's the downside, right? You're not going to get frothy valuations on an ATS. Maybe in the future when some of these ATSs emerge and get rather large, then potentially high valuations will follow, but we're not at that stage yet. Today, it's about how attractive is your company, how good a job are you doing of marketing it, and if you're doing a raise again right now, what's the price of the shares? The advantage is no shorting, no naked shorting. These <clears throat> You are not required to have an audit in order to list on an ATS. If the, res if the method by which you raise money doesn't require it, like a Reg D, then you won't, are not required to have an audit just by, because you're going to an ATS, so that's really good. Same thing with uh, technically a Rule 144A offering. Obviously less management bandwidth is taken defending why your stock price declined 20% last week, right? Don't want to be in that situation, you need to prevent it. And I mentioned the fact that you can have a private exchange uh, is a very big advantage. You, if for, for some companies, you can have an ATS, which is white labeled, that is you know, your brand, where only your securities are traded, and that's going to be very suitable for some companies. Look at Fundrise, you know, they've raised a huge quantity of capital via Reg A+. Just off the top of my head, I would estimate maybe 1.8 billion, 1.6 billion right now. And they don't list their securities anywhere, but they could do this, they could produce they could list their securities on an ATS. That would be a nice thing for their investors and it would make it easier to raise more capital because of the attraction of that liquidity. We'll get into this further, but the blockchain com companies that are raising money and or uh, and have raised money that are blockchain technology businesses, companies in the blockchain space, there's a lot of viability here that you don't get elsewhere when you want to be listed in the US. 
and you can actually use the ATS to raise money whilst you are raising money so in some circumstances that's going to be really really a smart move so OTC market offerings why do the QB or the QX well if it's a Reg A plus you still only have the US gap audit requirement that's lovely and if your company is robust enough and your team is robust enough and you're ready to have the cult establish the culture where you establish conservative uh, conservative expectations in the marketplace and then beat them then being on the OTC market is a good thing to do and you can get very high valuations for doing so so really good better liquidity much better valuations possible better training ground for the Nasdaq obviously the big thing being building the culture internally of the two IPOs to the Nasdaq that I was a part of I was VP of sales at Ashton Tate and our CFO didn't have enough clout with the CEO and the CEO bless his socks was a little bit too prone to shoot from the hip and give analysts expectations that weren't terribly related to the actual plan we had in the company so we had some seriously difficult times there um, as a result the share price wasn't as good as it could have been the valuation wasn't as good as it could have been and the institutional involvement as investors wasn't as good as it could have been where well, we did Symantec we had a guy uh, uh, we brought in a guy called Bob Dykes who's a good friend of mine still obviously and he had the right cultural mentality as a CFO and the CEO in those days Gordon Eubanks delegated very nicely to Bob to let him do it well and communicate to the financial markets what the expectations were and as a result when we took some Antec public we delivered 16 consecutive quarters of beating our numbers and became very popular with institutions so a very large mix of our investments were being held by them which is obviously a desirable thing so if you do it right and you, we had a culture internally where we reforecasted every six months and we were conservative right and the result was part, partly we were doing business but also we were being really conservative we were buying companies when you buy companies you have the opportunity to legitimately make reserves that you can unmake that you can release at later times and a strong CFO doing that legitimately can help smooth the, the results of the company Higher valuations, already covered that. It's easy to get the shares and list them while they get them into a Schwab account, although you know the further down the food chain in the OTC markets, the harder it gets. Yeah, covered those things. Good. Acquisitions. If if you are legitimately buying companies as a part of your growth strategy that is a very good protection along with excellent marketing when you are exposed to naked shorts because the brokers that would like to make short make profits by shorting company stocks they are less likely to do it if they're worried that they might lose money because the day after or a few days after they put a big short on suddenly you, you make an announcement and the stock price reverses and they actually lose money which is not what they're looking to do right so that's a good part of, of a, uh, if it's real, that's a good part of protecting yourself. So now I want to get into Reg D because Reg D is so much more liquid than people know. And now combined with ATSs, that's really, it comes to fruition, right? 
to my mind this is seriously good stuff I'll get to the questions later it's good you guys post your questions as you go and I, as we go and I'll get to them later um, I'll answer them in the order they're posted to the extent that I think I can add value if there are questions there I can't add value to uh, I won't be doing so so it, these are there's three ways in which a Reg D investor can immediately sell their stock immediately after purchase one is what's called a section we have a we, we have a a uh, an FAQ dedicated to this and when we send out the the invitation to look at the, the webinar recording will include that on the blog page with the web webinar recording the links to that and another couple of related relevant uh, FAQs uh, on, on the, the Manhattan Street Capital platform. So don't worry about having to write these down. But section four and 4.1 and a half is a hybrid thingy between a couple of different regulations where a with an attorney's letter, which would, have, would come either from the investor selling or from the company whose shares he is selling, then a section 4.1 and a half uh, exemption allows uh, for accredited investors to sell to other accredited investors immediately. And that letter basically, it says that, you know, the person selling isn't a broker dealer that's involved in some way, this isn't an insider, also logical restrictions. So an actual passive investor that isn't an insider by dint of owning more than 10% of the company, a true non-insider investor will get, if they pay for it, the attorney letter that gives them that right to sell right away. And section 4A7 um, allows an accredited investor to sell to another accredited investor immediately when it applies. And it has essentially the same criterion that the, the section 4.1 and a half has. It's really the same thing in a better organized fashion. And an accredited investor can immediately sell to a qualified institutional buyer, also known as a quib. Um, so that's three ways that the company has its investors can have immediate liquidity after buying your shares. Pretty good. And the last one is what we already know is that after 12 months, though the, your Reg D investors can sell to the public. Now, that wasn't terribly convenient before, but with an ATS, that can be really convenient because the public will be there buying their securities if they're appealing. So now what do you have? You have a company that is publicly listed and isn't required to do an audit because it raised money via Reg D. It has obligations and responsibilities that I'm not going to get into all the detail of, which are pretty obvious things. But the point is, you now have a publicly listed company that is trading to the public in the US, and it took 12 months to get to that point post uh, selling the securities. That's, I think, a really powerful thing. And the last one is you can sell immediately uh, to, that is the Reg D investor, can sell immediately to an international investor courtesy of Reg S. So there's a lot of ways that which in which Reg D is much more liquid than we knew before. And so with a ATS that is willing to allow your company to list your Reg D securities and is willing to provide these kinds of listings, which many of them are, that is to say these kinds of transactions, which many of them are, that's great, right? 
I'm not saying you want you don't want you want to provide liquidity to your long-term investors and so forth. This is a good way to go, and I don't think most of us have been aware of this. Okay. So I want to mention Rule 144A liquidity because it's a special case that I think has a great op uh, application. We are raising money for client companies using they're raising the money, we're helping advise, advise them. Um, but we're bringing all the service providers in and so forth. So I can't say we're raising it because we're not. We're not a broker dealer. But we are enabling them to raise money for Rule 144A offerings. The first one that goes live has a target raise of $600 million selling to qualified institutional buyers online because it's allowed to do that. So. We are getting, we aren't live yet with that, but it's, it'll be soon. And it's uh, a really attractive company in my view, but I'm not recommending investments. I'm just telling you that those qualified institutions can be immediately liquid on an ATS. And I've spoken to a number of ATSs that are happy to restrict the buying to be other qualified institutional buyers during the first six months. And, and at the six month point, those institutional buyers are allowed to sell to accredited investors on an ATS. And at the 12 month point, they're allowed to sell to the public. So now you've got a public company that raised money through a 144A and doesn't actually have an audit requirement. Now, having said that, you know, let's be real. If we're, we are including in the 144A offering for the company I mentioned just now that is planning to raise $600 million, PCAOB audit, because the institutions will require it. In that case, and right now the sweet spot, I think, for 144A offerings is with very large institutions, because they're the ones that have been funded so, so generously by the, the Fed over the last two years. They're the ones with money burning a hole in their pocket. And for these large raises, this, it's really easy for them to, to, to obviously to participate. But they're also very much more demanding, right? So a, a family office putting in $2 million via an institutional raise is going to be much less demanding than a, 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 an institution putting in 40 mil that would never put in less than 20 because it would be a waste of their time. Okay? So let's be real. Audit requirements depend upon the investors with which we are engaging. It's not just what are the rules that apply. Rule 144A does not require an audit. If one exists, it must be provided, but he doesn't have to do one in theory. Anyway, so you heard that on the, on the public part, how, we got, how that's a viable way to go to be a public company. So now I'm going to get into when does it make sense to raise capital or to what to list a, your security while raising capital. So obviously, it's high risk to list your stock on the QB or the QX whilst raising money. If you've raised enough money during the one year Reg A plus, for example, you can do that. The question is, is it smart to do? And it's only smart to do if the marketing of the company is very strong and we can have high confidence that the company will not be subject to naked shorts, right? So that's a nerve-wracking judgment to make, a nerve-wracking decision. So if 
The management of the company is confident enough in the context of that situation, say it's raised $4 million already and has a lot of investors, which you get when you do a Reg A+, then the potential does exist to go list. And then um, why is that a good thing? Well, as long as there's interest and excitement, because some of these companies are be raising money, are raising money at pretty conservative valuations relative to what the valuation can be when on the QB or the QX, for example, then you can see a situation where instead of taking a year to raise 20, 40 million, whatever the amount is, it can be done much faster because people buy, are buying at less than the market price when you go to the QB or the QX to sell it. So I just it's obviously risky, so it's not a no-brainer. That's another advantage of an alternative trading system. I'm not selling alternative trading systems. I don't have stock in any of them. You know, I love the fact that they exist. That's what this is about. I'm not biased. You know, there are some that are doing some really great things. There are some that are investing lots of money to build their scale. Uh, and that's T0 right there. But there are lots of good companies doing good things in the ATS space. So just so you know, I don't have any kind of conflict of interest going here. But to my mind, this is a marvelous development. That's why I'm doing this webinar. Okay, so you heard the thing there. Da, 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 da. So being listed on an ATS while raising money is a lower risk proposition. You're not going to see obscenely high valuations, but if we market it really well, we could create a situation where we're selling shares. Let's say we, you know, the issuer is selling shares at $4 and they might be trading at 5 on an ATS because people love the company because of that most recent news announcement the company just made. Because let's face it, some of these companies, we are so fortunate at Manhattan Street Capital that we have amazing companies that have been approaching us in the last year that are doing offerings with us. It is astounding. I mean, the quality of these companies compared to seven years ago is just night and day. So they've got substance, they've got revenues, they've got profits and solid growth. So they're in a whole different situation than a lot of the companies that we've seen and worked with and other companies doing Reg A Plus in the past. What's happened in the last two years, courtesy of COVID, is that crowd investing, online investing has become credible. So we get institutional investors participating that wouldn't have never ever looked at it before. Things of that ilk and the caliber of companies taking it seriously. Uh, some of the just amazingly wonderful companies that I feel and I am really privileged to be dealing with this. I'm sitting in a seat where I'm seeing such great companies. It's a, it's a lovely journey. So those companies are much more likely to be able to, to market what they're doing in order to have a much faster raise, right? That's a lovely thing. And again, if the strategy is to make acquisitions, you can do them during a raise. You're not restricted to doing acquisitions post-raise. That's another advantage, right? Building excitement in the company during the raise and benefiting from it and making it less expensive to market the raise and happen quicker. A win-win scenario. Obviously, bearing in mind all, the, all of the circumstances. For international markets, that is to say, listing internationally, we'll get into this in a little bit, we'll get into this too in the blockchain part of this discussion. Um, sorry, that was, that was Slack. 
interrupting. I don't have a, haven't figured out how to silence Slack yet. So you may be uh, some of these things are going to be obvious to some of you guys, but um, not not all of them, I'm sure. So. The SEC doesn't consider the, the fact that your company is listed in Canada or in the UK or in Australia to be significant. That's not relevant to them as long as the company is, isn't breaking any laws and rules and things. They don't consider those to be significant. So that's interesting. But the real point is that we're talking with ATSs uh, about 144As and Reg Ds and Reg A pluses, companies that list for those reasons because you can. Internationally, Reg S investors are also, it's possible for you to make your Reg S investors liquid right away uh, as soon as you have enough of them who've invested in your race. So play it forward. You don't need a Reg S with a Reg A plus because it works internationally anyway. But in a Reg D scenario where you've paired it with a Reg S for international investors, then as long as you list your securities on international exchanges that will rigidly constrain it such that those international investors can only sell to other international investors but not to US investors for 12 months after they purchase the security. As long as you make sure of that, and there are many exchanges internationally where you can do this, then you can list your, your securities internationally as soon as you raise enough money to make it interesting to do. So now your Reg S international investors can be liquid too. So it's less restricted in, in, in the sense that uh, US investors are more restricted for obvious reasons because the SEC does a great job of protecting all of its uh, our US investors. But anyway, you get the point, right? Pair the two together, you can be liquid fairly early on in ways you, that you may not have been aware of, and internationally too. Okay. The keys to doing this online listing whilst raising money, wherever you are doing it, are is there enough enthusiasm in the company, and is it being marketed really well, and do you make sufficient news announcements and so forth? Okay, covered that, covered that. Now I get into blockchain companies, kind of a natural segue from where we just were. At this point in time, the SEC is far more restrictive when it comes to blockchain offerings than they were two years ago. That's just the fact of the matter. It's almost impossible to get a Reg A plus through the SEC if it's a blockchain offering. And even if it isn't, even if it's a non-blockchain offering, but, it, or, but there's a blockchain component, whether it's, it's a, whether it's a tool or an instrument, but it isn't the primary part of the business, that is slowing down Reg A pluses to get through the SEC. So. That's really important to be aware of. Unless this is your you know, life's work, a religious thing, where you want to spend years and a lot of money going down that road, you aren't going to get an S1 IPO or a Reg A Plus uh, offering qualified, in the, in the case of the, the term qualified applies only to Reg A Plus, when it's a blockchain offering. That just isn't going to happen in any sane time, of, time frame. Now, when the the process that uh, the president has announced has completed, I expect that things will get better because there'll be more clarity. And then the SEC and other entities may become more straightforward to deal with, particularly the SEC. But, and I do think that the announcement has simplified things because you can imagine being 
uh, a regulator at the SEC and you know what you know and you know that there's you know, reluctance and a lot of concern about all these crypto things going on and you, now, and you also know the, the, the president is going to be making uh, executive orders and statements of intention and basically getting things in a way that could be, you don't know what's going to come out of it, but it could be even more restrictive. So you can imagine that that made things worse. Now we're past that. I think we'll, we'll see things will be a little bit better. But when the regulations are actually defined, then things can get a lot better. Because frankly, what the president announced is much more pro-blockchain and crypto than what we, what we saw before. So that's, that's, I think, a good thing for later when the regulations emerge. Point being, though, today, what do you got as a blockchain company? You've got Reg D and Reg S, those are the, and Reg CF. We don't do Reg CF. I'm not an expert on Reg CF as much as I am on the other other funding systems. So Reg CF is good. It's a, it's a very good system. So, <clears throat> of course, you've got a. The fact is that when you look at it just from a pragmatic standpoint, why is it that you can do a Reg D and a Reg CF without? getting blocked. It's because you don't go and ask permission of the SEC. You file a notice with the SEC in both cases. So you still got to do it legitimately because later the SEC can jump on you from a great height and make life utterly miserable or worse, right? So you got to, you, whatever you do do in the blockchain space, it has to be done legitimately. But Reg D, Reg S is a good combo that we are, that we are focusing on because we choose not to do Reg CF. So what does that mean? You know, I've mentioned already, right? The, it isn't ideal, but if you list, if you do a token offering via Reg D and Reg S, then in the international market, as soon as you raised enough money, the international folks, let me just reduce the backpacks. Light. That might reduce the shadowing weirdness there. Anyway, so, um, you can list the internet, the security token, the token, the block, whatever it might be, internationally, as soon as you've got enough investors, reg S in the ways I already described. And you can list your reg D security in the US as soon as you've got enough investors to make it worth doing because they are allowed to trade on an ATS. So to my mind, it's not ideal because we, you know, Many of the blockchain companies that approach us want to, to bring what they're doing to the masses. They want the investors to be everybody in a lovely democratic way. That is not currently viable, right? So what do we have? We have this, which is pretty good because 12 months after starting the journey of list and having listed, then you can not really start in the journey. 12 months after having raised the money in a Reg D model in the US, your securities can be traded to the public. The public can be buying them and selling them uh, via ATS, which is a marvelous thing. Of course, being able to do it sooner would be nice. But think about the alternatives the Reg A plus and an S1 IPO, they're not instantaneous things. It's not like you start it today and you're all done and, and washing your hands 60 days later. There's a lead time there too, right? It's just the lead time is all the preparation and the filings and the comments from the SEC. So the time to liquidity for the public is going to be similar, right? We're thinking about it. How are we doing on time here? Okay, running out of time. So liquidity for insiders and early investors, 
It's not different than you already know. Um, in the case of all of these, this, the, the big issue is that when you are an insider, you are limited by the SEC as to when you can, when you can uh, sell your securities. And essentially, the biggest moving part here is that if you are on an ATS, for example, and you choose to produce management financials every month, and you do that responsibly, there'll be a window every month then where the insiders can sell. Obviously on an ATS, the liquidity is not as strong. There's a limit to how much of the volume an insider can be selling, but um, I don't see the need to go into too much detail on this. But the point is that ATS provide you a less liquid way, and it's obviously best to have ultimate liquidity for insiders to sell, but the key item is making management financials available on a more frequent basis than you are required. And that is not an onerous thing compared to PCA or B audits every quarter, that all those demoted companies that are on the, uh, that are on the OTC markets and similar have to live up to. Okay, so this is the last piece of content. So I have a little bit of time left for questions. Um, Reg A plus NASDAQ uh, IPO update. So there are some companies that are uplisting. Uh, Verexit, SoberSafe, Trust, Stamp, assuming that they complete their journey. But it's more interesting to look at the IPO front because that's where the excitement is and where really the, the bigger difference is. So Nightscape, um, Nightscope, excuse me, they went public in January of this year. AeroClean went public in November of last year. Those are the two most recent uh, Reg A plus IPOs to the NASDAQ. In both cases, their stock is trading down. In the case of Nightscope, it's down from $10 to 5.5 today. And AeroClean is down to around $4 from 11. But, you know, to be fair to them, in both cases, they're early stage companies. You can debate the merit of being public. You know, there's a lot of work involved in protecting yourself. And also, the market's not quite as exciting right now, not quite as bubbly as it was in both cases when they went out. Nevertheless, two, those are the two most recent IPOs. And uh, in terms of IPOs coming along, we have a client that uh, I'm not soliciting an investment when I say this. I'm just mentioning their name. Gat C Health is a biotech company that is intending to conduct, to, to culminate their Reg A plus, they're a client of Manhattan Street Capital. They're intending to go to the NASDAQ and they have serious interest from uh, high quality underwriters in doing so. So that's a good company, but we have two other companies that are engaged with us in Reg A pluses that intend to list on the NASDAQ. It's still going to depend at the end of the day. It's going to depend, of course, on the climate as to whether that takes place, right? The success of the raise as well as the state of the market at that point, at that point in time. The thing, next thing I want to touch on, because it's highly relevant given the state, you know, given the volatility in the markets we've got right now, we don't know what's going to happen if the market goes into a severe tailspin, et cetera, et cetera. Of course, it matters to know what's the likelihood of being able to successfully raise money in that context online. So I can't guarantee anything and I'm not going to try, obviously. But what we experienced that was very interesting to me that I want to relate is that during March of 2020, 
when the wheels fell off the bus in the in the US markets because the realization came that this COVID thing is going to impact the US and the world in a bigger way, right? That was a lot of volatility there. For three weeks, the markets were all over the place in a, in a very big way. During that three-week period, the Reggae Plus companies that are, that are climate, are, are clients that were raising money, saw their cost of investor acquisition increase by about 25%. Uh, some of them paused for obvious reasons, but the point is that it didn't stop. It was more expensive during a very scary time when most people, many people, were looking at their IRAs and said, whoa, scary times, should have done it differently, right? So in that, to my mind, that was really telling. Later on, we got lower costs. By May of 2020, the cost of acquisition was substantially lower, 15% lower than normal roughly speaking, because people were stuck at home and didn't have much to do. So we had two advantages there. One was less cost of, lower cost of acquisition. And the other was people having to look, having to is the wrong word, having more time at their computer and on their phone, exploring this online investing thing and then taking it more seriously. So really this crowd investing business has come of age in, in a way that's very, very beneficial and beneficial to all of the players. And um, we're experiencing, as I said earlier, amazing companies that are themselves taking this online investing thing more seriously than we ever saw in the past. Okay, so I just wanted to say that because, you know, you need to understand what the likelihood of success is. If we do everything else right, my sense of it is that in a gradually downtrending market, that will be able to raise money from Main Street investors because that is the sweet spot of Reg A Plus anyway. I'm talking mostly about Reg A Plus here. Institutions, it's a different thing again in Rule 144A because the main reason I think that, that this is a really good time to be pitching uh, companies to them, if they're the right companies, is that they don't want to go long the market. They want to invest in environmentally sensitive companies a new, I mean, it's a, a new development, and they want to put money into companies that have tremendous growth prospects, and yet that are not where there's a lot of upside, because the upside is uncorrelated to the market, right? They want to put money to work intelligently. So I think right now that's true, even with volatility, the volatility just, just goes to show what they already knew, which is you can't expect the market to go on going up forever, and, you know, we don't yet know how bumpy it will be when it corrects, how it corrects, etc., etc. So, in those cases, that's the way I, I view it, at least. And in the case of Reg A+, when you get down to the brass tacks of it, most of the easier-to-reach investors are Main Street investors, and only half U.S. households have a stock brokerage account. So, we are raising money in the main, in Reg A+, from people who are not nervously looking at their stock brokerage account because they don't have one. Now, I say in the main, I don't have the precise breakdown, but there's an awful lot of people who are investing in Reg A Plus online because they love what the company does and because they believe what it's claiming in terms of its upside potential for them. And then later on, they'll have to open a stock brokerage account and so forth. <coughs> Excuse me. Okay, so. Now, that concludes the prepared statement part of this webinar. And I'm happy to stay on longer than um, 10 minutes from now or 8 minutes from now if there's enough questions. But I'm going to go to the questions here and do my best to address them.
Bear with me while I lean in to see the questions. My email is posted in, if you'd like to email me to uh, talk to my company or to, about working with you, or if you need feedback on something, happy to have you email me. Already did that. Somebody asked, can you, can infrastructure be included for your funding? Not quite sure what that means. You can raise money for infrastructure. We have infrastructure to help with the funding. That's why, what we do with our platform. There's a hell of a lot of deep things being done in our website that go way beyond being an ordinary website to facilitate investing. Okay, somebody's saying they've got a great company. Yeah, initial cost of doing a Reg A plus, the front-loaded expenses, assuming a simple audit, 150K, covered that. But that's not, you know, the big expense going forward is um, the cost of marketing outreach to bring in investors, unless you've got a giant audience that love you and are going to invest without that expense, right? You know, you don't get the outreach to fresh, I call them the great unwashed masses, which isn't meant to be a, a negative statement, the people that never heard of you, right? Social media advertising is the most effective vehicle to reach those folks. And what do you do with a, with a Reg A Plus? We go live, we raise money. Initially, it's not efficient because the targeting, the advertising messaging, the key messages on the landing page all need to be tuned. So the real issue there is don't spend much money up front get the efficiency optimized as soon as possible and then spend a lot more money raising money and the biggest expense is advertising outreach okay whoops hold on i'm not handling this chat box thing in the most efficient manner okay Listing partners. Okay. Somebody's describing what they do. That's not a question. Um, how many reggae plus companies pay a dividend? I'm going to say 20%, rough numbers. Debt offerings are obviously paying interest, aren't they? Real estate. Real estate's more than 65% of capital raised, so what I just said is wrong. Almost all of the real estate companies are paying. I'm thinking 20% on the rest of the, of the uh, companies. With AI, we create dividends from our software that will solve the short problem, good. The shareholder base is great for the Reddit crowd, yep. Has to be a company that creates lots of products. The NYSE put a moratorium on Reg A+. What happened was that there was a lot of momentum in Reg A Plus going uh, IPOs in 2017 and the beginning of 2018. And then one Singaporean-based company broke the rules. They started a, did a brand new U.S. company, raised Reg A Plus money, and then I'm sorry, qualified their Reg A Plus and instantly bought their Singaporean company, which was apparently their intention the whole time, without including that 
in their filings with the SEC. You don't get away with that. You're supposed to keep the SEC informed. The SEC would have required them to audit the US, the, the Singaporean entity. So they were delisted. And that was that resulted in lots of red, red faces. And the NASDAQ imposed some restrictions, which actually one restriction, which is a Reg A plus IPO to the NASDAQ. The company must have a year of operating history. And the NYSE put a moratorium on Reg A pluses. So what we're seeing in, in recent activity is the rebuilding of momentum for Reg A pluses. I wish, firstly, that those guys didn't, Longfin was the company name, I wish they didn't do that because it was unethical and it was obviously a bad thing in the first place. And if they were going to do it, I wish they'd done it in an S1 so it wouldn't have slammed Reggae Plus as much. It wasn't specific. Their practice was something you would have, they'd have been slammed for if they'd done it in an S1 as well. Can you provide some insight on using Reg D, Reggae and Reggae? to sell token assets do, that do not represent equity or debt for listing. The thing is you can't get a Reg A plus through the SEC that has uh, token offering involved in it, blockchain involved in it. So you can't really do that. It ends up being Reg D and maybe Reg S, but not Reg A plus. And the same thing with an S1. You're not going to get an S1 through the SEC for a blockchain company token assets. Even if they don't represent equity, it just it's it goes into this bucket of blockchain stuff that the SEC sets aside as a separate group look at and it never gets anywhere for a very, very long time. Particular concern on the ongoing audit obligations on projects that are not profitable. Well true. But you know, audits are providing accurate data so that people have confidence that the company is doing what it says it does, it's, that isn't the problem. The problem is what are the results and what are the prospects for great results going forward. So, you know, if your company has a $200 billion revenue potential over the next few years, because that's the size of their market, then the fact that you're losing money right now isn't really a big deal, right? If people buy into the prospect and you have enough barriers to entry that it's there's high confidence or sufficient confidence that your business is going places. But you're right, it's easier if you have revenues and profits and predictable results. So another, some, Dr. Hassan is describing what he does in order to get help. Okay, that's not a question. Okay, too many posts of the same thing. Hey, well, at least I'm getting past a lot of stuff here vertically. The website for Manhattan Street Capital is manhattanstreetcapital.com, spelled exactly the way it sounds, which is not a coincidence. I don't understand your concerns about naked shorting on the QB or the QX, NASDAQ, and the NYSE. Naked shorting isn't illegal, not for a stock brokerage. It's, naked, it's, short, it's illegal for you and I, for regular people, but stock brokers don't have to have borrow in order to put a short. So they don't have to have, it's a naked short. They are allowed to do that. The SEC regulation says a stock brokerage has to have reasonable access to borrow. That is a big gap, it's a big hole you can drive two buses through, and that is why it's a regular practice, and it's not individuals, as I said, it's 
It's not illegal. It's legal. The re I don't know why the SEC doesn't change that. I would like them to change that because it's so destructive to so many companies. I don't want to maximize those stockbrokers' profits at the expense of killing companies. You know, how do they dig themselves back out? It's not easy, right? As, as a, a lot of companies can tell you. Okay, so any more questions, put them up now, but we're running close to the end of the window. So I will re review a couple of things. Thanks, Akosh, for putting this together. Yep, you're really good at this, young man. I appreciate you greatly. As I said earlier, he's in Hungary, so he's not too far away from what's going on over there in the Ukraine. Com question is, what types of companies are optimal for Reg A+, where a venture fund of funds and considering Reg A+. Um, venture capital is restricted for Reg A+. It's a long discussion. Please email me <coughs> and we can discuss it. Um, the types of companies, it comes down to... If, apart from the regulatory restrictions, <coughs> excuse me, the being able to market the company successfully to investors online. Uh, is it simple enough? Is it attractive enough that it will engage investor interest cost effectively? That's the single biggest restriction. From a venture fund point of view, there are issues there where you know you fall into into you can easily fall into <clears throat> a mutual fund bucket which is a whole regulatory challenge it uh, mutual funds can't use reg a plus how can a real estate company use reg a plus to raise funds to acquire properties with great cash flow dividends by doing a reg a plus usually as a debt offering um, that's very commonplace. More than 65, at least 65% of Reg A plus capital raised to date has been through four real estate debt funds. So not equity so much. Putting buying equity in a company that buys real estate is offbeat. It's confusing to people. But real estate as a category, it's been a good run, of course. But real estate, whilst the market is strong for real estate, which is quite strong right now, um, the prognosis for a Reg A plus for real estate offerings is quite strong. When you see 50, 60 million dollars, 40 million in a Reg A plus, it's frequently a real estate transaction. We've done a few. See, we've done, our clients have done a few. Okay, so going back to what I was doing to wrap up here, um, we'll be sending out an email link to a blog post which will include this this video this webinar with an index so you can just watch the bits you want to watch uh, it will that blog post will also have links to information about ATS's and more detail on Reg D liquidity <coughs> um, uh, those things yeah and again all the disclaimers please read them <coughs> and what I said earlier applies um, thank you very much for being here I hope this has been useful for you, which is the primary purpose of this, of, of having these webinars, of course. Um, yeah, thanks for taking your time. I hope this has been worthwhile for you. Any feedback, welcome. And again, email me. My email is in the chat box. I'm happy to, uh, to help you to the extent that I can to figure out the best instruments to use that, uh, are, and that are available and the best way forward. That's kind of what we do, right? We, d we don't want to waste our time and yours doing things that are preordained not to work. We want to find the things that will work to have uh, maximum success. My two goals in Manhattan Street Capital are 
only do offerings where we can succeed and the companies are great and where investors will later celebrate that they invested in those companies. Those two goals, successful raises where investors will celebrate later because that is what makes, will make us a long-term success as a company. Okay, thank you very much, guys. Thanks again for being here. Have a great day and uh, look forward to talking with you again in the future. Thanks, bye.